0: organizational effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. This week, we're up to episode number 53. We're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, This is the one year anniversary of this podcast, actually, starting uh, with um, episode number one back in February 4th of uh, 2016. So we're now at episode 53. That's been one every week for the last year. The title of this episode is Serving the Common Good. What I want to try to do in this episode is celebrate a little bit of what's happened over the last year and um, tell you about uh, what we've been up to and how we've been taking the podcast episodes and producing a book. The book is called Become Truly Great Serve the Common Good Through Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. In this episode, I'm going to describe how the podcast series resulted in the creation of the book. So, back in February of last year, we started with uh, an introduction to the podcast, and it was really about the manifesto for the age of organizational effectiveness. And, of course, the the name of the podcast is just that, The Age of Organizational Effectiveness. Original intention was to write a book that addressed the question of what is organizational effectiveness and how do we achieve it. But as we got into it, we found that organizational effectiveness was a part of the solution, certainly, and was the engine for greatness. But there were other things involved as well. But serving the common good is probably the thing that brings it all together. What I want to do is read you a few pages of the book, and you'll recognize uh, some of the original ideas we started off with. What I did, actually, was to use the podcast episodes that I had to produce every week on my schedule and convert them into chapters in the book. So there are 16 chapters in the book And all but two of them started off as podcast episodes. The other two came from a paper that I had already done some time ago and presented at the Academy of Management annual meeting. But that didn't really count as publication. It was just a conference. So anyway, we were able to take uh, that material as well and and fold it into the book after uh, a good bit of editing. So let me start off with the prologue to the book. There has been a long-standing puzzle in management theory. It revolves around a simple question. What is organizational effectiveness? Over the years, several answers have been proposed, but none has solved the puzzle. The problem is that theory does not point to anything specific that can be observed in the real world to verify effectiveness. Scholars call it a referent, Profit doesn't work. Shareholder value doesn't work. A myriad of other organizational indicators fail to signify effectiveness in a way that would satisfy the puzzle, because these cannot be observed directly in the field. Scholars have been at an impasse in this area since the mid-1980s. Thus, effectiveness has been called an enigma and a wicked problem and remains a vague construct rather than a defined concept in organization and management theory. If we don't know how to define organizational effectiveness, there's a good chance that we don't understand organizations. It's important that we do. Organizations have a central role in modern life. They offer goods and services. They're places to work. They regulate our economy. They are force multipliers, allowing individuals to achieve purposes much larger than they could accomplish by themselves. The best organizations help add meaning to our lives. In short, organizations are enablers of civilization and creators of economic wealth and social capital. Truly great organizations occupy an important niche in their environment and act in ways that benefit the common good. Yet it, it will come as no surprise that many organizations are ineffective in business, government, and nonprofit sectors today. While they may have a vision of a better future, their efforts to bring it about have gained little traction. Ineffective organizations become marginalized, while other, more effective organizations achieve significant impact around them. Ineffectiveness has a significant downside. It can call into question the survival of an organization, not to mention the dysfunction and confusion experienced by the people inside. Ineffective organizations do little good for themselves or for the world around them. Without an accepted theory that explains organizational effectiveness, confusion reigns. It colors the way that management theory is taught in business schools and management is practiced by C suite executives. It pervades the way politicians make policy, and citizens think about government. It holds us back from achieving a sustainable future. A story is emerging about the need for organizations to enter a new age, one that this book calls the age of organizational effectiveness. There are several threads to the story. One recounts the difficult situation that society finds itself in on multiple fronts, with limited options and no clear path forward. Another thread is about widespread dissatisfaction with what capitalism has now become. Another is about the prevalence of efficiencyism, which holds organizations back from realizing their true potential. It's also about other voices that have tried but have not found a clear way ahead. This book offers a path to the new age. The approach described herein was generated from a belief that a solution to the enigma of effectiveness can be found to satisfy both scholars and practitioners. It comes in the form of a new synthesis of organizational effectiveness theory, provided herein by the author, which not only defines a practical concept of effectiveness for the first time, but offers a deeper understanding of the nature of organizations themselves. The age of organizational effectiveness can arrive when managers begin to think different and implement the principles of effectiveness, one organization at a time. The world needs great organizations, and positive organizational effectiveness is the engine of greatness. Society now faces myriad problems that only truly great organizations can solve together by serving the common good. Welcome to Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. So that was a prologue, and that picked up on a lot of ideas that were in the manifesto for the age of organizational effectiveness way back at the beginning of the podcast. But now let's give you a a taste of the introduction of the book, and you'll see that we've gone beyond simply talking about effectiveness to talking about greatness. So here's the introduction. This book is about a new way to think about and manage organizations, whether business, government, or nonprofit. It explains how to become truly great by serving the common good, in other words, the external environment. It has been written for practitioners, that is, managers and organizational leaders, but scholars will appreciate that its arguments are founded upon the new synthesis of theory. The approach is called management by positive organizational effectiveness. Importantly, it can be applied to all types of organizations. It can also be applied when loose coalitions of organizations work together toward a common purpose, like saving the world. Management by positive organizational effectiveness provides a way to achieve great things. There are three phases to management by positive organizational effectiveness. Number one, be virtuous. Number two, discover effectiveness. And number three, become truly great. At first, you may think that too much is being promised. Doesn't it strain credulity to think that organizations can become great by following a simple formula? Well, no. There is little daylight between being virtuous, discovering effectiveness, and becoming truly great. A book puts tools at your disposal. Naturally, the outcomes and impacts depend upon how you use the tools and on what response you receive in the real world. While worthwhile journeys are seldom completed without difficulty, persistence is often rewarded. You probably knew that already. Nevertheless, the book is designed to help those who have set their sights on greatness by making the path less arduous. In phase one, you're invited to start your journey toward greatness by examining whether your organization is virtuous. This may seem puzzling. It should not be. Even drug cartels can manage effective organizations. So it is important to apply superpowers for good rather than evil. Think of Google's admonition to itself, don't be evil. Yet the approach goes beyond simple slogans. Phase 1 of Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness is about instilling positive values in your organization that can both attract and amplify success while being protective on the road ahead. Positive values and attributes such as honesty, decency, transparency, high quality, resource conservation, and doing what's best for the customer need to be guaranteed within your processes because internal behaviors matter. It is important to do this at the beginning of the journey rather than discover 15 to 20 years down the road during scandal that positive values were never present. We can learn from highly reliable organizations like aircraft carriers, nuclear power plants, and the like that are obsessed with potential failure modes and incorporate ways to recognize and avoid them. In phase two, discover effectiveness. Your team will search for effectiveness through a process of experimentation and validation, closely observing responses to its offerings in the real world. It is possible that no one, has tested what it will take to achieve effectiveness in your situation. This book can tell you what it looks like and can provide a process to find out, but until you observe effectiveness taking place and verify that your efforts have induced it, you cannot be confident. The technique relies on the direct observation of demand-side behaviors in response to your offerings, in other words, your products and services or projects and programs. In predicting expected external behaviors, consideration of financial and economic benefit exchanges will be of interest, as well as social, psychological, spiritual, and environmental benefits. When your experiments discover what gets potential users excited and involved in your offerings, then you are unearthing the secrets and you are discovering effectiveness. This book provides a way to think about what's involved and and lets you know when you've found a solution. Management by positive organizational effectiveness departs from the goal model, which has remained dominant in daily practice of management around the world, but with limited success. Many people are familiar with management by objectives, which is based on the goal model. The goal model serves an aging and largely top-down bureaucratic reality. Let's call it last-century technology. It's not reliable because it accepts arbitrary goals that often focus on the wrong things. It leads to efficiencyism, which marks the current age. As we will see, dysfunction is an emergent phenomenon under efficiencyism. Management by positive organizational effectiveness uses a new model called the outcome focus model. Within this model, the goal of every organization is the same, that is, to be effective within its environment. Effectiveness does not operate in the model at the level of the organization as a whole. It operates just below that at the level of the individual offerings to the environment. Efforts to improve organizational effectiveness focus on an organization's portfolio of offerings that serve its environment. Become Truly Great, the book, introduces an overriding directive. Serve your environment and be rewarded in return. To be truly great, you must first serve others effectively. You may have encountered a similar admonition elsewhere. Matthew 23.11 The greatest among you must be your servant. Serving your environment should not be considered casually, however, because evolutionary and adaptive pressures within the environment marginalize or cull organizations that are ineffective in serving it. In phase one, be virtuous. Your organization examines its values to embed and retain the positive values necessary to achieve and sustain future greatness. In Phase 2, Discover Effectiveness, your organization defines and tests the results chains associated with each of its offerings to calibrate and gauge their effectiveness. By the end of this phase, you will have come far, and your environment will be rewarding you already in phase three, become truly great. Your organization will need to be consistently effective for at least five years, working to improve the processes and retain the values that have been cultivated thus far. The final push toward true greatness is a cumulative process which aims to achieve positive and widespread impacts through continued effectiveness over time. It is about occupying, in a biological sense, one or more niches in your environment because a great organization is integral, if not indispensable, to its environment and acts to consistently build up rather than tear down the whole. Being great is not about winning, which implies that someone else is losing. Rather, it's about being recognized and rewarded by the environment for your service to it. Serve your environment and be rewarded in return. It's a mantra for a new age. That is, the age of organizational effectiveness. So, you can see where we're headed. And the book has three sections. The first one is about the current age, which is the age of efficiencyism. The second one is about the coming age of organizational effectiveness. And the third part is about entering the age of organizational effectiveness. So, in 16 chapters... We move through those three parts and uh, describe how to become truly great. Phase 1 of the Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness is about being virtuous. That's Chapter 5. Phase 2 is Discover Effectiveness. Chapter 13 and Become Truly Great is Phase 3. That's Chapter 16. So I won't describe any more about Chapters. Let me just read the epilogue, which is at the end of the book, uh, which describes a little bit about how the book originated and where some of these ideas came from. So here's the epilogue. This book was in the gestation phase for a long time. Many of the ideas on a new way to think about management and effectiveness in particular have come from my experience in international development Since the early 1980s, during the early part of the UN drinking supply and sanitation decade, which was 1981 to 1990, I was living in New Delhi, India with my family, where I was working in the regional office of the World Health Organization on a project funded by UNDP. As the project manager, my job was to advise participating governments in South Asia on how to create successful projects for the delivery of water supply and sanitation services. I traveled around the region, including countries such as Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh, Maldives, Nepal, Thailand, and observed projects at close range. The underlying problem was that the goal for the UN water decade focused on coverage targets. The percentage of the population that had access to clean water and adequate sanitation So governments had interpreted their job as one of simply building facilities to deliver water and sanitation services to as many people as possible. The basic idea was simple. We will build it, and they will use it. When the decades started off, it was a game of numbers, with coverage targets driving the discussion, and participating countries made a good deal of new funding available to address the needs A flurry of activity was begun in country after country by government agencies, stringing pipes in rural areas, building household latrines, and increasing the number of wells. Unfortunately, many of those early facilities either quickly broke down for lack of maintenance or were not used for their intended purposes. We saw a latrine storing hay and drainage ditches filled with trash. Government agencies thought that they knew what the people wanted. They had been doing the job for years. But there was a gap between the planners and the people that that could benefit from their efforts. The supply side didn't understand the demand side. Focusing on deliverables, such as outputs, alone resulted in a lot of broken down and abandoned facilities. Clearly, project success was not about supplying pipes, pumps, and latrines. It was about much more. For success in rural water supply and sanitation, it was clear that we had to get the users involved in designing the facilities, what has come to be called participatory design. WHO came to believe that success was a three-phase process involving coverage, functioning, and utilization. Coverage was only the first phase, but it involved participatory design, so that the gap between people and planners was reduced. The criteria for success included not only coverage of the population by providing access to facilities, but the continued functioning and utilization of the facilities as well. As the decade moved on, I came to believe that I understood what effectiveness was, at least in projects. Projects that were focused only on supplying facilities, such as delivering outputs on the supply side, were problematic. Among these, I saw lots of projects that were poorly conceived and were failing in the field. Projects focused on outputs alone didn't worry about demand-side response. For success, project objectives needed to focus on demand-side outcomes, like uptake, adoption, and use of the outputs. Outputs did not lead to expected outcomes unless the expected outcomes themselves became the objective. I decided it was necessary to clearly distinguish the supply side from the demand side, then set the objective on the achievement of demand-side behaviors that would validate the results chain hypotheses. Since those early days in South Asia with WHO, I've had the chance to see hundreds of projects prepared by the largest development agencies in the world in all sectors, such as education, health, power, transport. I was offered the opportunity to introduce the logical framework to the World Bank in 1997, at a time when it was being adopted in all new operations. And I subsequently helped with the conceptual design of over 800 projects being funded by the World Bank Group. Projects may change, but common problems remain. In the end, an effective project is one that achieves expected external outcomes in the demand-side environment. It's what the economic and the financial analyses assume to be true from the start. Unfortunately, not all development agencies understand outcomes in the same way, such as demand-side response. A large percentage of development projects still have objectives that focus on outputs under the control of the project rather than on external outcomes. Even some of the Millennium Development Goals for 2015 focused on outputs on the supply side. Such as access to services, rather than on demand side outcomes like uptake, adoption, and use. In this book, I have expanded my analysis of the problems of organizational effectiveness beyond temporary organizations, as I've experienced them in institutions of international development, to include permanent organizations in the private and nonprofit sectors and in government. When I began expanded research on organizational effectiveness about 2008, I was surprised to discover that scholars had abandoned the organizational effectiveness construct after the mid-1980s due to a high level of disagreement surrounding its definition. In the disagreement, however, I saw some hope that my experience with temporary organizations would provide a new view of effectiveness useful to both practitioners and scholars. The potential role of a new concept of organizational effectiveness has long been recognized by scholars, a role in which organizational effectiveness would function as a capstone concept in organizational theory and draw together several disparate groups into a unified whole. Whether my views on effectiveness can serve this role I will leave to others to judge. I hope you find Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness to be a useful approach with direct applicability to your organization. So you've heard today both the genesis of the podcast and subsequently the book, and what has eventually become the outline of the book and its completion I now have a copy, this is a proof copy, in my hands, and the book is actually available on Amazon and other places. The thing that draws it all together, in the end, is about serving the common good, because that's how organizations survive and thrive under management by positive organizational effectiveness. It's about serving your environment and being rewarded in return, and the environment, is where the common good lies. So today, we've been celebrating the one-year anniversary of the podcast. I've given you a little insight into what we did with all of the podcasts and how we rolled them into a book. I hope it's been interesting and informative. Join us again next week when we'll again explore organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Goodbye for now.